All right, everybody. It is Friday, March 24th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Mosh, very happy that you went to CNN and came back. I'm glad we have not lost you. I haven't gone native, Jill, even though my (laughs) origins are in cable news. Very happy here in the digital world, but also happy that folks out there in the traditional world are recognizing what we're doing here at Mo News. So I tried to bring some facts and perspective to the uh, 10 p.m. hour there uh, over there on Wednesday night. I stayed up way too late watching, but it was worth it. Uh, I thought you did a great job. It was so great to get a text message from you after 10 p.m., Jill. I was like, (laughs) what world are we in right now? It's funny because I wanted to text a few people, but I didn't even know who was up at that hour. Uh, So I had messaged a few people to tell them to watch, and I felt bad. I'm like, well, if you're still up, I hope I'm not waking you, but Moshe's on CNN until 11. Um, So it was interesting to see who wrote back. Yeah, you're approaching the hours there where the only people to check in with are the folks over on the West Coast. All right, let's get to some of the headlines for this morning. The waiting game continues when it comes to whether former President Trump will be indicted in New York. We're going to have a quick status update. The waiting game was over, though, when it comes to TikTok's CEO testifying on Capitol Hill. We have the takeaways from Thursday's tense hearing. It comes as one state is taking things into their own hands when it comes to kids and social media. Another school shooting in America, this time in Denver, where the district says it's time to put armed officers back into the schools. It is the end of the road for the Chevy Camaro. And an asteroid the size of a city is whizzing by Earth this weekend. It is not going to hit us, fingers crossed, but you will be able to see it with binoculars. Mosh has on this day in history. Jill, we'll have a couple classic TV moments for you. And it's Friday, so we'll take a look at what we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend. Okay, now to our top story, the highly anticipated TikTok hearing on Capitol Hill. Most we found one thing that almost all Democrats and Republican members of Congress can agree on. TikTok is no bueno. TikTok CEO Shozi Chu testified before the House Energy and Commerce Committee for about five hours. At times, it got pretty hostile as members did more lecturing than questioning of the CEO. He's 40 years old and born in Singapore. Lawmakers had a lot of questions about privacy for Americans' data, protections for children online, and how TikTok's connected to the Chinese Communist Party. Chu tried to assure them that TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, not owned or controlled by the Chinese government. And he did make some commitments about how TikTok would keep its users and their data safe. Take a listen. There are more than 150 million Americans who love our platform, and we know we have a responsibility to protect them, which is why I'm I'm making the following commitments to you and to all our users. Number one, we will keep safety, particularly for teenagers, as a top priority for us. Number two, we will firewall protected U.S. data from unwanted foreign access. Number three, TikTok will remain a place for free expression and will not be manipulated by any government. And fourth, we will be transparent and we will give access to third-party independent monitors to remain accountable for our commitments. The hearing was led by the chair of the committee, Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers, a Republican from Washington, and also Congressman Frank Pallone, a Democrat from New Jersey, Rogers uh, said that she was convinced that TikTok needs to be banned in the United States. She said that before Chu had even started his testimony. Here is a clip from her opening remarks. TikTok is a grave threat 
of foreign influence in American life. It's been said it's like allowing the Soviet Union the power to produce Saturday morning cartoons during the Cold War, but much more powerful and much more dangerous. Banning your platform will address the immediate threats. TikTok has repeatedly chosen the path for more control, more surveillance, and more manipulation. Your platform should be banned. I expect today you'll say anything to avoid this outcome, like you are 100% responsible for what TikTok does, that you suddenly endorse a national data privacy standard, that Project Texas is more than a marketing scheme, that TikTok doesn't harm our innocent children. One notable exchange during the hearing, Rogers asked Chu to say with 100% certainty that neither Chinese authorities nor TikTok workers nor employees of ByteDance, which is TikTok's parent company, can use the app to spy on Americans or promote content that would be favorable to Chinese interests. Chu said TikTok is free from any manipulation from any government. But Rogers shot back saying, well, if you can't say it 100% certain, I'm going to take that as a no. And that wasn't the only time that there was sort of this testy exchange between Chu and lawmakers. In some cases, they were looking for yes or no answers, and he really wasn't giving them that. Um, And this was just one of many issues that he was asked about. Yeah, he was trying to be very precise in his questioning. And for those of you who haven't watched many of these hearings, this is pretty typical. Many members of Congress, they have limited number of minutes to ask their questions. In some cases, Jill, they don't even want the answers to the question. They just want to be able to ask their questions in a provocative way with the hopes of the sound bites being replayed on the local news wherever they have constituents. And China didn't make things easier for him either. The most important developments may have happened before the hearing started. That's when early this morning, the Chinese Commerce Ministry said that China's government would have to approve any sale of TikTok to an outside owner, and they planned on opposing that. So that message from the Chinese government only reinforced the company's links to China as Chu so desperately wanted to reinforce that TikTok is independent. I mentioned he was trying to be precise in his answers to their questions. At times it was helpful, at times it wasn't. One member asked if China has, quote, spied on American citizens. Chu replied, I don't think that spying is the right way to describe it. That was before he answered another question on China's ability to access U.S. data with, quote, not to my knowledge. So again, him trying to be precise and uh, ensure that he wasn't lying here did leave room to doubt. And the China connection was not the only thing that he was asked about at the hearing. The parents of a Long Island teen who had committed suicide after watching hours of TikTok videos were also present. The parents, Dean and Michelle Nasca, were highlighted by one member of Congress. Their 16-year-old son, Chase, took his own life last year after receiving more than a 1,000 unsolicited videos of violence and suicide. The parents were sobbing as the lawmaker recounted their story and told Chu that his app destroyed their lives. Chu replied that there are parental controls and other measures to keep the app from young kids. Chu actually saying that his kids, who are both under the age of eight, both are not allowed on the platform. And there are a whole number of measures they've taken on the app to manage the content, help it from becoming addictive. He also noted that TikTok is not alone here. This is a problem across the board, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And all the platforms are trying to manage this sort of thing. 
So where do things stand at this point? It looks like, if anything, there's more momentum to ban the app or try to force ByteDance to sell it. In a joint statement, Senators Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, and John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, they were the ones who wrote that legislation that could be used to eventually ban TikTok. They say that Chu's testimony did not address their concerns about the app's ties to China. They wrote, under PRC law, that is People's Republic of China, All Chinese companies, including TikTok, whose parent company is based in Beijing, are ultimately required to do the bidding of Chinese intelligence services should they be called upon to do so. And nothing that we heard from Mr. Chu today assuaged those concerns. Yeah, so it comes down to this. uh, And this is where the U.S. government stands, right? Hey, TikTok, either get sold and no longer be owned by ByteDance, or we're going to ban you here. You heard the Chinese government say, we're not going to let ByteDance sell TikTok which leaves what? Banning TikTok here in the US. And you mentioned that statement from Warner and Thune to Key Sanders there, Jill. There were statements coming in left and right from a number of members of Congress, House members, Senate members, who were not at that hearing today. Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, he took aim at what he called Chu's alleged lies and omissions, said momentum to ban TikTok is growing. Uh, Congressman Michael McCall, he's the head of the House Intel Committee. He said Chu's testimony proved that TikTok needed to be sold or banned. Uh, Another Republican who chairs the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House said that they plan to ban the app or force it to be sold. Michael Bennett, a Democrat senator, said Chu failed to reassure him about the concerns they had after a meeting. So really, it came Democrat, Republican, leadership, etc. Things do not look great right now. You know, Chu tried his best on Capitol Hill, again, to be precise, answer their questions. But right now, the momentum is really for a major change. And it appears all we're left with here is a potential ban here, Jill, for an app that 150 million Americans use on a monthly basis. Yeah, and some of those TikTok influencers ahead of the hearing made their way to D.C. to try to basically plead their case. One of those people, Aiden Cohn Murphy, he's a college freshman. He has about 300,000 followers on TikTok. He's the founder of the group Gen Z for Change. He was basically saying TikTok is not a children's dancing app. It is one of the most powerful tools that young people have to engage each other and to get civically involved. He and about 20 other TikTok influencers or personalities, they were actually invited by TikTok uh, to go to D.C. and and try to basically lobby lawmakers against banning the app. Right. Chu was trying to make this point in the hearing that this will impact the lives of millions of Americans, people with small businesses, creators, etc., that there is a huge economic impact to a number of Americans with a TikTok ban. And for the most part, members of Congress did not want to hear it on Thursday. They were much more concerned with the potential security implications of, again, an app with a parent company in China that could potentially be manipulated at some point by the Chinese government. And so that ultimately is where things fall here. So we'll see what negotiations happen uh, behind closed doors. Ultimately, it'll fall on President Biden and the administration to make the final call here. Okay, Moj, now let's get to our next story, which unfortunately uh, is all too familiar here. Another school shooting in this country. The 17-year-old student who allegedly shot and wounded two administrators at his Denver high school on Wednesday has been found dead. The events all started Wednesday morning at East High School, and it happened while two administrators 
were searching that student for weapons. This was a daily requirement because of this boy's behavioral issues that students been ID'd as Austin Lyle. He then fled after the shooting. His body was found Wednesday night near his car in this remote mountain area about 50 miles southwest of Denver. It follows a different shooting near this very same high school back in February. That is when a 16-year-old student, Luis Garcia, was shot in the head while he was just sitting in his car on school campus. Now, students and parents say they've absolutely had enough. Thursday, they demanded that the district put armed officers back in the school. Back in June of 2020, the Denver School Board unanimously voted to cut ties with the Denver police that was following the murder of George Floyd. But now the superintendent telling local media that he will have an armed officer at each of the district's high schools. Yeah, for some parents, they're saying, you know, too little, too late here. They shouldn't have removed those officers, but that was all in the fallout of Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. We should say, by the way, the condition of the two uh, individuals who were shot. One of the victims was released from the hospital Wednesday evening. The other one remains in serious condition. Students from East High School and others across the Denver area rallied at the state capitol on Thursday to push for gun reform. One sophomore telling the AP, we're scared to go to school. We want to have these legislators look in our eyes when they tell us they won't pass gun legislation. She added that watching her friends and the fear in their eyes is the worst feeling in the world. Though, Jill, we should note that this shooting appeared to involve a handgun here. So there's not much that can be done legally in terms of changing the laws there, given that a handgun was used here. Jill, you mentioned that the shooter uh, had a past, which is the reason they were searching him on a daily basis. CBS Colorado reveals that the shooter was actually arrested back in 2021 for possession of a ghost gun and a high-capacity magazine. He was actually still on probation at the time of this week's shooting. Looking at the overall numbers here, shootings in the nation's schools have more than tripled during a five-year period ending in 2021 from the previous five years. So we just see this escalation here. We've now jumped from an average about 10 years ago of 38 school shootings annually to more than 130 a year. That's according to a database from the Naval Postgraduate School. Jill, there was also one other powerful moment that took place on live TV Wednesday as a Fox News reporter, Alicia Acuna, based in Denver, was covering this school shooting. It just so happens that her son goes to that high school. He found her outside as she was live on air reporting on everything. Take a listen. Sandra, that, that is so encouraging to hear um, as a parent. Excuse me, my son just came up and I had not seen him. Come up. Come up here. Um, so I'm sorry. I've not seen my kid oh, since this all went down. Yeah. So hey, just, re just really, so I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, I just finished this real quick, okay? Okay, okay, okay. Are right, you good? Okay, I'm so sorry. I just, uh -uh. there's no way you would have let your kid walk by. Lisa, if you need so, to step um, aside, please do. <laughs> Jill, a really remarkable scene, but par for the course, I guess, at this time in America. And meanwhile, we have an update on another school shooting from back in 2021. The Michigan Court of Appeals has ruled that the parents of the Oxford High School shooter can stand trial. James and Jennifer Crumbly are the parents of Ethan Crumbly. Their son had already pleaded guilty to the shooting at the school that killed four students and injured seven others. Ethan used his father's semi-automatic handgun. The parents are accused of making that gun accessible and failing to recognize warning signs. They're each charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter for the four teens that were killed by Ethan.
So the parents here have pleaded not guilty. In the opinion released on Thursday, the Michigan Court of Appeals judge said, I suspect that parents do not reasonably assume as a matter of course that their children will commit violent crimes. However, before us is the unusual case. Ethan was extraordinarily troubled, yet defendants nonetheless provided him with a handgun. And despite having discreet, disturbing evidence that Ethan contemplated harming others, they did nothing when confronted with that evidence. Defense lawyers argue that this case might set a precedent where parents could be charged for the violent acts committed by their children. But the Court of Appeals argued that those concerns are significantly diminished by several well-established principles. This case, they say, is unique. Back to the news in a minute. But first, a quick break to talk about some of our sponsors, starting with Bowl and Branch. We talk a lot on this podcast about sleep studies and the importance of getting your eight hours. And we are so happy to be partnering with a brand that helps you do just that. You'll wake up feeling rested and refreshed with the softest, most luxurious sheets from Bowl and Branch. I can tell you I've been using their sheets for the past few weeks, and they are so soft and comfortable. They're made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash, and they've already been bought by millions. Best of all, Bowl and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. So this is the deal. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowl and Branch. B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H dot com. The promo code is MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. Exclusions apply, so see their site for details. And now to Athletic Greens. I've been drinking their AG1 supplement in the mornings. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder, it's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick and lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read from CNBC. A quick update on where things stand with Trump indictment watch when it comes to the Stormy Daniels hush money case. The Manhattan grand jury did meet yesterday, but only deliberated on non-Trump related cases. And that came after they were told not to come in on Wednesday. The grand jury set to meet again on Monday. Unclear what is leading to this delay. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation here, Jill, as to You know, we were on indictment watch all week. Trump thought he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. It didn't happen. They didn't come in on Wednesday. They came in on Thursday, but didn't discuss the case. Is there a negotiation happening behind the scenes here? Or could it be related to the fact that there are multiple other indictments pending, including a potential federal indictment related to the classified records case? And that's where developments will be interesting today. One of Trump's attorneys, Evan Corcoran, is expected to testify today to a federal grand jury. This is separate from the New York grand jury. This is a hearing related to the Justice Department probe of Trump's retention of those several hundred classified government documents at Mar-a-Lago after leaving the White House. The Justice Department successfully argued in court this week in several interesting cases that prosecutors have enough evidence that Trump's interactions with his lawyer, Evan Corcoran, were actually part of a possible crime itself and that they're allowed to pierce the traditional attorney-client privilege in order to get Corcoran to testify here because they believe, again, a crime was committed in the conversations between Trump 
and Corcoran. And apparently there are documents here, Jill. We don't know much in the way of details, but Corcoran had handwritten notes and transcribed verbal notes regarding his representation of Trump. And that could come up during the testimony before the grand jury today. So expect to hear more on that case. Again, we're watching the New York Stormy Daniels case. We have the federal classified records case. We have the federal January 6th case. And we have the Georgia, the potential Georgia indictment related to interference with election counting there. So those are the sort of the four Trump legal cases we continue to watch. Back on the social media front from NBC News, the governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, signed sweeping social media regulation into law Thursday that requires social media companies to get parental consent for minors that are using their services. It makes Utah the first state to impose such measures in the U.S., Versions of the regulations are being considered in four other states and in several federal proposals in Congress. The new Utah law requires that social media companies verify the age of any Utah resident who makes a social media profile and get parental consent for any minor who wishes to make a profile. It also forces social media companies to allow parents to access posts and messages from their children's account. The law prohibits social media companies from displaying ads to minors, showing minor accounts in search results, collecting information about minors, targeting or suggesting content to minors, or knowingly integrating addictive technologies into social media apps used by minors. Based on my conversation with Nero Feliciano from earlier this week, Mosh, it looks like these technologies, these addictive technologies are so built into the apps I don't really see how these companies would be able to separate them for minors. Right. I mean, it almost sounds like this is going to go the way of cigarettes or alcohol, where under the age of 18, you just won't have access to this sort of thing. They're also imposing a curfew on the use of social media for minors, locking them out of social media between 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. based on the location of the user's device, unless it's adjusted with the consent of a parent. So social media companies will now have until next March to comply with these Utah laws, after which they will be punishable by civil or criminal penalties. What's interesting here is that now that one state has created these laws, how will the apps effectively be able to manage that versus the other 49 states? So in many cases, like we've seen with some of the laws passed in California as related to data privacy, that then leads these companies to just have to create new policies for the entire country because it's so hard to keep that geo-targeting down and ensure that you're only making those rules for people within the boundaries of the state of Utah. That is one of the issues critics have brought up here, that this is a form of government overreach. It'll have effects outside the borders of the state. One person who's been quoted on this is a guy named Ari Cohn. He's the free speech counsel over at a tech policy think tank called Tech Freedom. He said there's no way for a platform to know who is or who isn't a full-time Utah resident. And so he reinforces that it's unfeasible to think that social media companies can parse out Utah residents versus just if you're a tourist to the state, will you be impacted by this? And that ultimately here, the apps will have to go to age verification and and a whole bunch of new stuff. And again, Utah has set a March 2024 deadline for that. I think what's really interesting about this and this moment in time is that for years, there had been speculation that these social media platforms were harmful to kids. But now there's real evidence. There's surveys, there's research that's been done. So the question is, what do you do about it? How do you rein this back in? It's something that Nero and I talked about, and she gave specific advice for parents. But here you're talking 
about governments trying to do something about it. Are we going to see this? As you said, is this going to go the way of of cigarettes or alcohol, where kids just aren't going to be allowed on these platforms? But the other question, is that realistic? They have phones and could lie (laughs) and say that they're 18. Well, it's very easy. They can use VPNs, virtual private networks, to get around it. It's what people use in Russia or China to be able to access things. And so you may see more widespread use of them here. And Jill, you mentioned it, but uh, if you have time this weekend, everybody take a listen to her conversation with Nero. It was published on Wednesday, so you can get it in your podcast feed. From Detroit News, RIP Chevy Camaro. And then there was one. Detroit's muscle car lineup shrank to the Ford Mustang this week as Chevy announced the end of the Camaro production after the 2024 model year. The Camaro's demise follows the discontinuation of the Dodge's popular Challenger Coupe at the end of this year. V8-powered cars like the Camaro under intense regulatory pressure amid a government-led transition to electric vehicles. But unlike the best-selling Challenger, Camaro had fallen on hard sales times since its sixth-generation remake in 2016. Chevy's vice president saying, quote, while we are not announcing an immediate successor today, rest assured, this is not the end of Camaro's story. The end, though, could be a new beginning. Car and Driver reports that an SUV, a Camaro SUV, will be introduced in 2025 on GM's Ultium battery platform. So an electric SUV, but an SUV nonetheless, Jill, everyone will be driving an SUV at some point, it appears. Notably, when you look at the history of all this, Jill, the Camaro debuted back in 1967, about two years after the Mustang. It was Chevy's answer to the Ford Mustang, and it really took off. Uh, Back then, it was selling more than 200,000 cars a year. The strong sales continued through the 70s, but they've really waned over the years. By the fourth generation of the Camaro, uh, annual sales have gone to 40,000, and then they were just eclipsing 20,000 recently. With these sales woes, they kept redesigning it. Eventually, they came out with what they call the sixth generation redesign about seven years ago in 2016. But buyers and media reviews complained that the sports car was actually hard to see out of, you know, a key issue when you're driving the car uh, and was apparently inefficient inside. And so, so long to the Camaro for now, it appears. Yeah, there are certain complaints that are minor, <laughs> like maybe something's not entirely comfortable. Not being able to see out of the car is, is kind of a big deal. One thing we will be able to see this weekend, an asteroid from the Associated Press, an asteroid big enough to wipe out a city, will zip harmlessly between Earth and the moon's orbit this weekend, missing both celestial bodies. Saturday's close encounter will offer astronomers the chance to study a space rock from just over 100,000 miles away. That is less than half the distance from here to the moon, making it visible through binoculars and small telescopes. While it is common for asteroids to fly by, as they say, NASA says it is very uncommon for an asteroid to be so big and come this close. It happens about once a decade. Scientists estimate its size somewhere between 130 feet and 300 feet. It was discovered about a month ago. The asteroid is known as 2023 DZ2. They're not that creative with the names, Mosh. Um, it's going to pass within 300. <laughs> There's so many rocks flying out there, Jill. They can't. <laughs> they just have to number it. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's going to pass within about 320,000 miles of the moon on Saturday. And then several hours later, buzz the Indian Ocean side of the planet at about hmm, 17,500 miles per hour. Again, that's about 100,000 miles away from us. Uh, but relatively speaking, Mosh, it's pretty close. Yeah, Jill, just for context, 
The distance between Earth and the moon is 240,000 miles. Again, that's a lot of miles. But an asteroid flying by at 100,000, that is less than halfway to the moon. Though the European Space Agency Planetary Defense Chief, by the way, that's a cool name, the Planetary Defense Chief, said there's no chance of this, quote, city killer striking Earth, but its close approach offers a great opportunity for observations. Astronomers over at the International Asteroid Warning Network, another interesting organization that we should visit at some point, says it'll provide good practice for planetary defense if and when a dangerous asteroid actually heads our way. The asteroid won't be back again till 2026 as it makes its way around the solar system. And apparently, Jill, I hadn't tracked this story, there was a time when scientists feared it would strike Earth at some point again with these close flybys, but scientists have ruled that out. If you have a clear sky, definitely look up and check it out this weekend. Otherwise, the Virtual Telescope Project will be providing a live webcast of The Close Approach. All right, now to On This Day in History. On this day in 1947, Congress proposed officially a limit on the presidency to two terms that would eventually lead to a constitutional amendment, which in the modern day, we only allow our presidents to serve two terms. But that was coming just off of FDR's unprecedented four terms or four elections to office, I should say, since just uh, weeks into his fourth term, he would die. And then on this day, March 24th, 1989, the oil tanker Exxon Valdez ran aground, spilling about 11 million gallons of oil into the Prince William Sound in Alaska. It was at the time the largest oil spill in U.S. history with about 11 million gallons, as I mentioned. Years later, you might remember the Deepwater Horizon oil leak in the Gulf of Mexico. That would end up spilling 10 times that amount, 134 million gallons of oil. All right, now to some pop culture news. 50 years ago today, Jill, Love Train by the OJs reached number one on the Billboard charts. I was going to attempt to sing it most, but I just don't think it's in my pitch, as they say. <laughs> but I do think of, um, I think of the movie Hitch when I hear this song. Oh, did Hitch give it a revival of sorts? It's in one of the best scenes from the movie, but isn't that what kind of happens with some of these older songs? They get thrown into a, a popular movie and then they become synonymous with that movie. Right, like Bohemian Rhapsody and Wayne's World. And that was another song where like, it had gotten some attention at the time, incidentally, but became much more popular uh, after the film. Uh, needless to say, Love Train actually would hit the number one charts. And it's cool that the group, the OJs, actually, they all met in high school together and uh, formed the group. All right, a bit of TV history here. 30 years ago today, the series finale of Doogie Howser aired on ABC, March 24th, 1993. Jill, were you a Doogie Howser fan? I was, I loved that show. It first introduced us to a very young Neil Patrick Harris, uh, who would go on to uh, tons of fame. And, uh, you know, he's won Tonys and, and a whole bunch of awards. But Doogie Howser, for those who aren't familiar, basically featured uh, Neil Patrick Harris as a young genius doctor who was like a middle school age doctor who was teaching the doctors in the hospital what to do. And finally, 18 years ago today, the American version of The Office premiered, Jill, on March 24th, 2005. Many of us were introduced to Scranton, Pennsylvania for the first time. Remarkably, for the rabid fan base of The Office, Jill, there's multiple podcasts now, including one hosted by uh, two of the actresses on the show. The show actually only won one Emmy during its time on NBC, and Steve Carell was nominated every year and never won an Emmy. Motion is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Kick it off. What are you watching? 
So we're in the midst of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Sweet 16 wraps up today. We get into the Elite Eight this weekend. And by the end of Sunday, we will know who will be in the Final Four. Jill, I'm also getting excited for the movie Air, the film by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon about the early years of Nike as they found Michael Jordan and made the Air Jordans. Uh, Apparently, it's coming out in early April, though there might be some previews in some cities that you're in, that some listeners are in, next week, but uh, I'm really pumped for that to come up. Moshe, have you read Shoe Dog, Phil Knight's memoir? I have not. Highly recommend. It is one of my favorite books, and it is so fascinating how Nike started. Obviously, this movie is going to walk us through it as well, but just the backstory is incredible when you look at where this company is now. Jill, I'm looking forward to Affleck's portrayal of Phil Knight in that film. What are you watching this weekend? Moshe, one word for you. Succession, the first episode of season four premieres Sunday on HBO. I know you've been talking about it a lot on the Instagram account. Also, Waco, American Apocalypse. It is a limited series on Netflix. It's a docuseries. It includes never-before-seen material from the 51-day standoff between federal agents and a heavily armed religious group. It happened in 1993. So besides for the broad strokes of what happened back then, I've never really gotten much deeper. So I'm very excited to watch this. Yeah, the David Crash cult. There's been a couple shows on that. I think uh, Alex, uh, my wife and I, watched a series last year on this. So if you get into it, Jill, you can do a deep dive and probably get lost in three or four different series on Netflix on this. Jill, what are you reading this weekend? Okay, there's an op-ed in the Washington Post. It's called, After the Winter Kids Just Had pediatricians are not okay. I'll just read the first part of it quickly. For many parents with young children, this winter was a slog through the triple-demic of COVID-19, flu, and RSV, and then other resurgent infections. The author writes, my own family's tally, 13 doctor's appointments since October, eight infected ears, two cases of strep throat, two different strains of pink eye, and one COVID infection. If parents are not okay, neither are pediatricians. These grueling months piled more strain on a pandemic-battered profession. Keeping these doctors going requires a radical rethink. And one of the things that this article talks about is that pediatricians actually don't make as much money as a lot of the other specialties, which is a huge problem when you look at med school and, and which specialties these students are deciding to go into. So, Jill, we'll link to uh, that story in the show notes, as well as the one I'm reading, which I thought was really interesting. It's out of the Atlantic, and literally the headline is, Ron DeSantis is right about Ukraine. We discussed this on the pod, but DeSantis was quoted last week as saying that this should effectively be a reconsideration of American policy uh, towards Ukraine and Russia. And this author, while not on the far right, says, yes, we should have a discussion in this country on what is the game plan here with Ukraine. We spent $140 billion, and he says, He's not against sending aid to Ukraine, but for what ends? How do we ensure this thing doesn't escalate to direct conflict? Uh, is a discussion that some feel should be had out in the open that doesn't necessarily take away from our support of Zelensky, but that we should have a real conversation about what are America's end goals because of this country's history with uh, involvement in conflicts that seem to never end. Moshe, it's certainly a debate that we have not heard the last of. Um, meanwhile, what are you eating over the weekend? The best part of the segment, my dad actually <laughs> just came back from Morocco, where he actually originally is from, and brought back tons of dates, like several cases of dates. So we have them stacked up on the countertop right now. And fresh dates from Morocco are something I'm snacking on almost every day these days. And Jill, take us home here. <laughs> well, it is spring. 
somehow a lot of the trees around my house are already starting to bloom. As we've talked about, we're kind of getting this early bloom because the weather was so mild in the Northeast. So I'm in the mood for a refreshing Moscow Mule. I was trying to think of a drink that feels like spring to me. And originally I was thinking... Ginger, it's got ginger. That feels spring. Yes, I was going to say rosé. But rosé is really the summer drink. So I'm all about the Moscow Mule this weekend. And on that note, everybody have a great Friday. We want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Yeah, those reviews really matter. So we really appreciate all of you who take a moment to review us, especially uh, on Apple and Spotify there. Don't forget to follow us over on Instagram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. Uh, for the latest and greatest coverage, Jill, I am praying for a quiet weekend. But should breaking news happen, uh, <laughs> we'll be there on the Instagram feed for you. Jill, I understand your daughter has a new way to take us out on this podcast. Alex, take it away. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. Have a good weekend.